0: Hey, welcome back to Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration and education for those living with pancreatic cancer.
1: Sharing the real life
0: stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And today, what we're bringing back one of our repeat guests and our host usually this show we're going to turn the tables on her a little bit today roberta luna welcome back
1: thank you thank you for having me back i just
0: wanted a chance once in a while to tell your story some more and not just the amazing 19 year journey you've had surviving a disease that does not have but 10 percent survival rate for for the first five years you've defied the odds you've been among among that small percentage of people that beat this long term and it's always an ongoing battle i get that um but one of the things there's so many issues that i hear in these stories that you tell and share with those you know and every so often i say that deserves a special dive that i'd like to explore so i'd like to speak up on behalf of the audience and quiz you occasionally here if we can do that um, uh, not just about your experience but specific parts of your experience and today I don't, want to, I, I, I don't want to get on my soapbox here and be anti-doctors here, but today I want to focus on something I've experienced in my life, I know you've experienced in your life, and others that have come on this show have experienced it. And that goes to the heart of how doctors respond once they deliver the news. Um, again, let's just set this up for anybody listening for the first time, give you some stats here. Pancreatic cancer is the third leasing, leading cause of cancer-related deaths here in the United States. I don't think people realize that because it's not, it's not on the tip of everybody's tongue. Cancer is, but not pancreatic cancer. And yet so many celebrities we've talked about, so many famous people, we just drop the word pancreatic cancer and it just gets classified into all sorts of cancers but among cancers of which there are hundreds i think um this is the third leading cause of cancer related deaths in the united states and beyond that the thing that scares us is pancreatic cancer is the world's toughest cancer to, to beat because right now it only has a five-year survival rate of 10 percent. half of that when you first got it right
1: right i was when i was diagnosed it was uh four percent and when my dad was diagnosed in nineteen ninety eight there was only a three percent chance
0: so it's gotten a little better, but the overwhelming odds are somebody's gonna die once they hear they have this, perhaps because it's gone too far is that why it's it's hard to diagnose it's hard to we've talked about this a little bit you know it just it gets to a point where there's nothing they can do to help you because it's pancreas is inside between your stomach and your back somewhere and then i don't even know i got a pancreas or what it does and and the symptoms are mild i got a back pain who would think it's cancer all this kind of stuff by the time we get there it's too late right for many
1: a lot of times it's metastasized it's spread to other organs because the first symptoms can be so vague it can be anything. Like you say, a lot of people complain of a backache. Well, if you're a sports person, yeah, then you the, think, okay. yeah, or you exercise a lot. You may feel, well, you know, like I pulled a muscle or something like that. So you may ignore it for, uh, for quite some time, unfortunately. The other symptoms can be stomach issues, you know, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, throwing up, not being able to eat, weight loss. So it's just so many variables there that can be other things that it makes it difficult to diagnose because that's usually the last thing a doctor will look at is pancreatic. And
0: part of that is the other number here that in 2021, according to the stats that I've seen an estimated 60,000 Americans will be diagnosed and 48,000 people will die out of a country of 350 million people. That sounds like a small group of people. So is it not something that even enters the doctor's mind? It's not first on their it's not breast cancer. It's not heart disease. It's not something they immediately they see all the time and therefore look for all the time.
1: No, most of the time that will be the last thing a doctor will look at will be the pancreas. They'll look at, you know, they'll tell you maybe it's your gallbladder or your acid reflux. There's other issues it could be. It's generally the last thing they look at unless you really um, demand or encourage them to look at the pancreas
0: all right so we know why it's so deadly perhaps we we suspect it has something to do with the fact it's the last thing people think of or the doctor thinks of it's hard to detect it's hard to recognize until perhaps it's too late it's spreading too far we didn't catch it early enough Uh, and the assumption is if you do catch it early early detection you got a much better chance i would suspect
1: that's the general um, hope and thought. That I don't know if there's
0: proof of that, but that's the assumption. Right? That's yeah. the
1: assumption is if it's caught early and you can get into some treatment, then you have a better, your odds are much better.
0: Okay. Now, the topic of today is, so you get that diagnosis and the doctor tells you what? I uh, got some bad news for you. Walk us through that moment. What's? It, it's a sh- Everybody who's coming here says it was a shock. You have one guest that said it happened on new year's day i think it was yes uh, somebody went in and was feeling not good after party and oh, let's go see the doctor and wow we've talked about from the patient's perspective the shock the disbelief oh my god what do i do now talk about it from the doctor's perspective How, what did what do they say and what do they do
1: basically what i got is when my dad uncle was diagnosed um, the doctors, they don't look at you, they walk in and they're looking at the floor. It's almost like they're afraid to meet your eyes for whatever reason. Then they sit down and depending on the doctor's demeanor, um, my dad's doctor basically said, sorry, Billy, you've got pancreatic cancer, you're going to die. Um, and just like that. Just like that. And we were just kind of floored coming from my mom and dad were in a small town and we, I think expected different. Um, way of hearing that kind of this news. Is,
0: I'm going to date myself. But this is Doctor Marcus Welby. This is uh, I don't know all these doctors that we feel like we. Have. When I was a kid, they'd come to your house. You know, you knew right. the doctor. They were your personal physician. They they treated you. They you gave. They helped you be born. They helped you go through your broken legs. They probably carry you through your whole life here. And yet, at that moment, sorry.
1: Yep, yeah, it's, and it's was nothing like Marcus Welby, nothing like, you know, that what we expected for a small town. Um, basically, like I said, walked in and told my dad, you know, it's I'm pretty sure it's pancreatic cancer. And if that's the case, then I, you don't have much of a survival hope here. But we're, let's do the surgery. We'll open you up, and maybe we can do a Whipple, which is the um, operation where it does remove some of the pancreas and some of the other, I call it plumbing, that goes along with it. Right. Um, unfortunately when we went in, we, the like doctors, colon
0: cancer, they'll do that to the yeah. parts of your colon and you, now you have a colonoscopy, you have a bag or something that yeah. you have to discharge and it's stuff here.
1: Kind of rearranging your plumbing, taking some things out and reconnecting things and told us the surgery would be anywhere from eight to 12 hours. So if you don't want to stick around, go on home or go someplace and we'll call you when we're done. Well, you know, as a family, we didn't want to leave. We wanted no. to stay there and, and just be there as a support. So he knew we were there and. It must have been something like i'd say maybe 20 minutes later we see the walk the doctor walking down the hall and i think that really encouraged us because we thought wow at only 20 minutes it wasn't the full 8 to 12 hours so maybe it wasn't as bad as he thought right but as we watched him we we realized he wasn't really looking at us he's looking down at the floor and then comes in and just um says well i just wanted to let you know we opened your dad up and um, the cancer's everywhere there's nothing we can do we're going to close him back up and you know i'd take him home get his house in order and just enjoy as much time as you can with him and we were kind of shocked we were like well you know cancer i mean there's chemo there's different treatments can't we do something
0: can't we keep fighting because yeah. they're get me and put me in a research group or what do i do for that period of time is he going to be in pain or how do i do this you know i got a million questions at that point in time here
1: and basically the questions we asked he was pretty much we did ask him you know well, what what are the best things we can do for him and He would just tell us, well, just go home and enjoy him. There's really nothing you can do. He's going to die. And, you know, I would just spend as much time with him, make sure he's got everything in order that he wants. You know how he wants to do things because there's just no cure and there's nothing more we can do. It's everywhere. And I just there's nothing that we can do but sew him up and send him home.
0: I would love to have a doctor on this program if they'd be willing. I'm not going to beat him (laughs) up, but I would like to debate this issue because my own experience, not with pancreatic cancer, but with my late aunt's. Waldenstrom's unique blood cancer, my dad's leukemia blood cancer, my mom's breast cancer, all of whom you know, eventually died. I felt much the same. It was, here was my impression, right or wrong, this is the way I walked out of all of those situations. It was an embarrassment to the doctor. He didn't, he or she didn't know what to say at that point in time. They weren't trained how to handle this. They're trained to cure people. When they can't cure people, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to approach it. They don't know how to handle it, and they just as soon move on to somebody else they can help.
1: I think a lot of times that's it. They're, you know, I don't know if they're embarrassed or just, you know, they want to do so much for their patients, or at least I hope they would. That when they can't, I don't know if they just don't know what to do from there. Yeah, um, is
0: it is it a feeling of guilt? A feeling of failure? Is it a feeling? It's just an uncomfortable. Somehow it's an uncomfortable feeling. And it's a conversation they must have all the time because people die all the time. And yet they don't seem to know how to. they might have the greatest bedside manner in the world. But when it comes to that, the universal stories I hear, by and large, is one of failure. My doctor, at that moment, they were through with me. Yeah.
1: And I don't know if maybe that's or at least... In my time, I was kind of raised where, you know, you put your doctor on the pedestal. Oh, sure. He told you you had to go home, take, you know, three aspirins, call him in the morning. You didn't. You never questioned him. Right. So I don't know if that's part of society, just putting the doctor on the pedestal. And then when that pedestal falls, they don't know how to deal with it and don't know how to handle handle it themselves. I don't know if they get any training in medical school on how to deal with that. I would
0: love to hear that because they spend a great deal of time, you know, learning technical skills. Uh, they learn business skills they have uh, consultants to help them you know maximize their practice and you know this become feels to me too much like an assembly line these days five minutes and out. that's all medicare will pay that's and on to the next patient and on and on and i understand trying to be efficient and all these other things but it also it meant it even further exacerbates the problem because they can't sit and cry with you they can't pray with you they can't hold their hand they can't they can't say, come back. I know this is a shock. Let's talk some more about it once it sinks in. I don't get paid for that. I don't have time for that. And I don't know how to do that.
1: I think that's a lot of it is they don't know how. And I think there's a lot of pressure put on them as well. Because like you say, you have so much time to see a patient. Whereas before, you know, we'd make an appointment with a doctor. And if our appointments took 30 minutes, 45 minutes, that's the way it was. Now there are maybe 15 minutes at the most. And they're trying to get you in things done and get you back out again. A lot of the right. times they don't have that time to sit and talk to you with you know what's going on. If you ask them, what do I do? They might be able to offer you a brochure or an organization to go to, but generally they don't even do that. So.
0: And that's the other shock. So we, time is part of it. Money is part of it. I'm sorry to say, you know, I'm not getting... Uh, there's nothing I can do. I'm not getting compensated for this. There's, I'm not going to get any money back for doing this it's now i'm on my own time maybe that's some of it and some of it's just a lack of training i really don't know what to do i'm a scientist i'm a technician i'm a healer i'm a helper when i can't heal when i can not help i don't know what to do except say sorry and then move on to somebody else i can and heal but i think part of it part of it comes down to what you were just saying there which is it isn't just the money and the time and the talent and the training there is a reluctance to tell you anything. I would say to my doctor, Well, what should I do with my mom, my dad, my aunt? And they'd shrug and they'd say, you know, make them come something generic, mumbly. Say, Well, they can't live alone. They'd say, Well, okay, do I ta- I can't take them into my house? I gotta quit my job. They don't want to move into my house. They don't have the money to pay for assisted living and other things, and you know, should how do what's hospice look like? What well, nothing. Just go figure it out in yourself. Rather than say hey, you've gotten a shock, let's set up a follow here, and here is our five steps to follow next. Uh, Here's your two steps to fight, here's your two steps to accept, and here's your fifth option if you wanna try it, some other crazy thing. They don't give you resources, they don't give you guidance or anything. Why, are they afraid to be sued? Are they afraid that you're gonna, they don't wanna steer you to, they don't say, well, here, call the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, for example. For anybody
1: no they don't and we've even had which we will still even can understand we've even had doctors speak at our our purple stride which is our our walk to cure pancreatic cancer and um, he's spoken at our events, taken questions, but then when he treats a patient with pancreatic cancer, he never once mentions our organization or even gives them a brochure. And even if it's not for with us, somebody that's you know a renowned organization that can help. Or give out patients. three
0: brochures if you don't want to make a specific recommendation. Here's three guides. Here's three things. If you are trying to be generic, I don't want to seem to be endorsing anybody. I always suspect again it comes back like to money. I'm afraid they're going to get sued. You went this route. You told me to do this. It didn't work out, and therefore I'm going to come blame you. So if you want to be neutral, do that, but don't do nothing. And they all seem to do nothing.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to say you know they all because Not they all but
0: all the ones I went uh, let's put it this way all the ones that I went through did nothing. I my father passed away, and I still got calls from his cancer specialist and others. Two months later, oh, it was time for uh, Mr. Roberts' appointment. He died. That's how involved you were in this latter stage. You, you, you wash My aunt was the worst story of all. She had this rare form of blood cancer, Waldensterns, and the only thing that kept her alive. Again, uh, most people died. She didn't. And for 20 years, they kept giving her this procrid shot that artificially forced her body to make uh, red blood cells, which it didn't want to make. And it was horrible and had side effects and everything here, but it kept her alive. Uh, otherwise she's lethargic and weak and not producing red blood cells and eventually that kills her. And it did. But 20 years went by, they kept her alive to this and other ideas and crazy things they tried and clinical trials and things she did. And she just was try and do anything. And it worked in her case. Twenty years she lived with this deadly disease. In fact, she outlived the doctor who diagnosed her. He, he said, "You only got a year or two to live," and he didn't know he was talking about himself and not her. Anyway, finally, after all this time, I mean, she just worshipped this doctor. He was renowned and out in the desert and did everything. And one day she called up to make her next appointment, and the nurse says, "Oh, doctor says you don't have to come back anymore." Well, what do you mean? Am I cured? No, there's nothing we can do for you anymore. Wow the doctor doesn't tell me this. The nurse just handed, oh, by the way, tell her that it's over. And next, that was the coldest thing I had ever seen done. She cried, she thought, then I guess I'm dead now. You know, he, he's given up hope on me and he can't even tell me this in person. We've got a 15 year relationship. He can't even share this with, I, I just get so angry every time I think of it. But that, I've heard other stories like that. So I guess, I don't know if it's time. I don't have the time to handle this. Money, I don't get compensated anymore to handle this. You know, that's like when you go into hospice. That was the other thing we discovered. In my mother's case, we put her into hospice and she wanted to see her doctor. He says, I can't come see anymore. Right. Once you enter hospice, they will not pay for me and therefore I won't show up. Mm-hmm. I said, well, can't you just come by and say hi or say goodbye or something? <laughs> no, there's no, there was... 20 years they had these relationships, multi-year relationships, and in the end, there's no goodbye. It's just, you know, good luck. See See you
1: in the next world or whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and I'm always shocked at that. So then I guess I'm pretending myself that we, that you cared, that we had a relationship here. You worked so hard to keep my mom alive or me alive or my aunt alive, at some moment you decided I can't do it anymore, I'm not gonna get paid for it anymore, it ain't gonna work anymore. Is there no, it's almost like we should have a goodbye ceremony. Take me out for a drink, uh, uh, sit me down in your office and have this special final talk here. Walk through something, give me some choices, hand me off to somebody, but don't just say goodbye.
1: Not in that way. I mean, my dad's doctor was, was pretty cold and like I said, he just... When my dad would ask him, well, you know, what can I do? Because my dad was a fighter. He wanted to live. Even if it meant just doing something experimental, he still wanted to live. And he asked the doctor, what can I do? And the doctor said, well, you know, Billy, you could have stopped smoking 20 years ago. (laughs) thanks. Thanks. And when somebody gets a diagnosis that they're dying, you don't, they don't need to carry the blame and the guilt. No. So, I think if that was the way the doctor felt, he could have kept that to himself and not you know spoke that way to my dad and although it,
0: there's no proof that the smoking smoking might have give him lung cancer, but it didn't give him pancreatic cancer, there's no proof of that. I don't think
1: either. well, it's just like any most any cancer you know smoking is a, a contributor as well for almost any cancer. But to tell a patient that is learning that they're dying that it's because it's their fault and making them feel like it's their fault. That puts a big burden on them that they don't need to be going through, especially at that time.
0: So we're back to, I just wanted to bring this to light because I've heard this too many times. You experienced it. I experienced it. And those listening who are going through this journey now may be experiencing the same thing. I don't think any of us are prepared for that's the. That's one of those hidden shocks that comes out of the blue. I trust my doctor. I believed my doctor. I listened to my doctor. Maybe my doctor kept me alive for a long period of time. But at some point when that relationship ends, it's quick. It's cold. It's curt. There isn't a lot of crying. There isn't a lot of, well, I'll check in with you and see how you're doing. I'll come by one more time. Let's, you know, I hate to to have it end like this. It's just kind of like you don't need to come back anymore.
1: I haven't really
0: maybe it's not quite that cold but I was (laughs) that cold in my aunt's case and some other cases but it seems like it's a very quick sudden goodbye and at that moment they tell you leave prepare without any there's no transition there's no talk there's no brochures there's no advice there's no nothing just this cold hard reality you're probably going to die there's nothing I can do sorry
1: yeah, and like I said my dad's doctor was horrible, but in retrospect as far as like when I was diagnosed, my doctor pretty much did the same thing in the fact that he wouldn't look at me in the eyes. He was watching the floor as he walked in. Yeah, isn't that that's just but, that's just wrong right there. But maybe. what I do have to say is that at least he did he did hold my hand. He did take my hand and say I'm sorry. You it is pancreatic cancer. But he didn't give me much hope either, but what he did say is, you know, you, you already know because you've experienced this, experienced it with your family that nobody survives this cancer, but let's at least get you a few good months so we'll start chemo right away. Yeah, right. And what I can say at least he did do is because he was not familiar with the disease himself, he did reach out to other doctors that he'd gone to school with and both had gone. Uh, one was with John Hopkins, another with MD Anderson to ask him you know i've got this patient she's got other issues as well she's got pancreatic cancer one kidney what do i do with her yeah you know so at least i can say at least he did try to do something and i have come across another doctor that is really great i mean he he's not my doctor but i know him through another patient and he does check in with me whenever he sees a, sees me at our purple strides that we do just to make sure that I feel I'm getting the right care and just to be there but they're
0: supposed to be the experts they tell you this deadly diagnosis they then I think have an obligation one to transition you somewhere to give you some I I think it's like once the shock I always feel like there should be one more meeting where you come back and now you've had some questions and I'll tell you what I know ask me what you want to know I'll give you some guidance, some brochures, some ideas, some suggestions, what I've learned. In the meantime, I went and researched it. You went and it. We should. It seems like we should come back and regroup one more time before we end this relationship. If nothing else, it's kind of a goodbye. It's a transition to something. And and giving you some assistance, here's some possible resources. Other than that, we're all forced to be on our own. In a moment, we're really – you must feel really lost. I know my aunt did. She just – she lost all hope at that point in time. And you, she died shortly thereafter.
1: You do because I think and maybe it's I don't know if it's because we put so much value and put our, the doctors on the pedestal, but you expect them to have all the answers. So when they come and tell you're you're dying from a certain disease, it's a shock. And you want more answers. You want them to tell you what to do, and basically, you know, they're or how not. how to handle going it, to, or how much time, or yeah, where to go, where to get the information. And the worst thing I can say is, don't ever Google anything. Um, oh, you get a thousand. T- <laughs> but, yeah. but what else you
0: got to do? Go home and Google it, and then you got a hundred different opinions. Yeah.
1: And most of them, like I said, aren't going to have any more hope than anything else. So. Um, well,
0: you try the crazy stuff. On my mother's final days, my dad, who was so scientific and so. uh, so fact-based he'd try any crazy thing that he could come up with just you know you get desperate you'll try anything you'll try any experimental Uh, Yeah, they
1: do they tell you you drink certain water or you drink it a certain way or you drink it out of a certain uh, container yeah um, that's supposed to help you eat certain foods and that's supposed to do something you get sometimes more advice from the outside world than you actually get from the medical field which um, maybe is because they are worried about malpractice I don't know. I don't know what goes on in their mind. And I've often wondered, you know, the outcomes of this cancer generally, that is not going to be good. Why did you pick this specific disease? Those that focus on it. Yeah, Yeah. even those. Um, Because, you know, generally most people aren't going to survive. So why did you pick? Why
0: are you so poorly prepared for this moment? Yeah. (laughs)
1: And I think generally what I've, the feeling that I've gotten from them or even what some of them have voiced to me is they feel like, if I can at least do something to make you feel somewhat better, more secure, even if it's just for a few minutes, then that's what I want to do. And that's why I chose the field. But a lot of them have such really bad bedside manners. And maybe that's not always important if you can, you know do the cure or get the person you know to survive longer i get it
0: they're scientists the researchers you're just another case number they can't get too close because everybody does and so they have to keep some distance i i I understand some of that i don't accept it all but i understand some of it but i don't understand this this sudden quick i'm not going to sugarcoat it here it is there's the answer i don't even disagree with that as hard as that is as cold as it is but then what come back, give me one more shot where I can absorb this. You can research it and we can review it one more time at least. Or maybe I want a second opinion or maybe I just come back with a whole bunch of questions, but that moment never arrives. They pretty much tell you to go home, pack your affairs and shrug and say, I'm sorry. And next bring me somebody I can help bring me somebody I can cure bring me somebody you know who isn't dying here. And I just think that's wrong, I, I just do. If that's true, then where did you go? We'll leave the last couple of minutes and some hope there is. If, if the doctor, I guess that's the point of the story, don't expect the doctor to support you, guide you, direct you through this journey. If that's your diagnosis, that may be the end of, of your relationship with your doctor. But your journey still goes on. Yours has gone on for 19 years.
1: Yeah, and what I suggest for anybody to do is, whatever for whatever reason, if you're not sure what the doctor's telling you, you don't feel you're getting the support, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get yeah. a fourth opinion, however many opinions And we're so reluctant
0: takes. to do that. Well, the doctor said this. Well, maybe they're wrong.
1: And maybe they're right, but just to reassure your own self that you're yeah. doing everything you can for you because the doctors can only do so much for you. You have to take it upon yourself and be your own advocate and be your your own you know, researcher, go out yes. there. Like I said, don't just research anything. My thing I tell people is you need to go to pancan.org.
0: We'll give that again. That's the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which was created by this woman that you work with because she had the same experience. They said, we don't know what to tell you. And she said, well, that's not good enough. Right. And she started doing her own research at John Hopkins and online and other things. And started to bring together other stories and other resources. How we and we created this giant support network, which is what most of these advocacy groups are. They're the the place you go to next when nobody else can give you any ideas or hope.
1: Yeah, and for um, she lost her mother to pancreatic cancer before, and there was nothing out there. So that's like you said, why she developed PanCan, and it's been a great organization. I always call them my one-stop shop because I can get everything there. I can get advocacy. I can get research. I can get patient services, which is a really excellent um, thing they provide for all patients and their families. They don't charge you for it, but they'll send you out all this great information. There you go. They help you as far as researching. They'll give you a list of doctors, uh, facilities that are experienced in pancreatic cancer, because the one advice I can give is you need to have a doctor that is experienced in pancreatic cancer. Yeah,
0: clearly they they don't. Know. That's part of it too. That's why I say part of it is time. I don't have the time to figure this out. Part of it is money. I'm not sure. I'm going to get compensated anymore, you know, from all these insurance carriers and Medicare and other sorts of things. And part of it is just knowledge. I don't know what to do. I don't see this very often. I I see it's deadly. I don't know anymore, and you know.
1: And maybe and that and you know on their side, maybe that's it for them too. Is they just happen to see so much death, they don't see a lot of survivors. But the one thing I I can tell any doctor out there That's true too.
0: Maybe they give up hope, yeah.
1: And don't take that hope away from your patient. I mean, I'm fine. Tell me the statistics. Tell me the facts. Tell me everything I need to know. Give me the dirt on it. That's fine. I need to know that to fight it. But don't take away my hope because that's all I have.
0: Yes. Uh, And we'll emphasize that again. You said in other shows, I'm sure we'll talk about in the future. It's your journey. It's up to you, those of you listening- who are on this journey it's up to you to decide when it's over I mean yes there's a finality to it that you have to maybe deal with or face at some or maybe not you know Roberta was told the same thing and 19 years later she's among the few that's survived and gone on here and it keeps getting better over time so I don't want to give you false hope but the point is that you said in the story before the doctor shouldn't tell you when it's over when to quit fighting when to give up when to go home that's your decision, right?
1: That's my decision. I mean, it's okay to tell me to go home and put my house in order, as far as making sure all of my documents and all that need to be taken care of. That really, we all should be doing that. Practical anyway. advice, yeah. Yeah, right. that's something we I know we all put off, but just don't take away my hope. Tell me everything I need to know how bad it is. That's fine. Don't take away my hope, and don't tell me when I need to stop fighting, because I will decide when I stop, and not you. Yeah,
0: and there uh, clearly there are a point in all these cancers it becomes too painful too difficult, people do say, I just prefer to let it go now and let's stop the treatment and, and let's deal with this. Families don't always want to accept that. Friends don't always want to accept it, But, but that's their choice. And, and in reverse, there are those that fight to the very last breath and keep fighting, you know, on and on and on. Even when others give up hope, the family, the friends, the doctor, whatever. So it can go either way. But it's your journey. And I guess they leave you stranded on this journey. At the moment you start on this journey, it feels like too many doctors walk away.
1: They do. And again, like I said, I don't know if it's because it's just something they don't know what to do once it gets to a certain point. It's so sad to see, even some of the doctors I see, I think they need to separate themselves as well to a certain point so that when you, you know, if you do die, then they don't take it as hard. But again, why did you get into that field? Yeah. You know what the outcome is.
0: My dad's um, favorite question that always made them uncomfortable is, okay, so what would you do if this was your wife or your mother? When you talk about my his wife, my mother. Personalize it. Quit seeing me as just another statistic on a sheet. Mm-hmm. What would you do? And that's when they get uncomfortable and, you know, because I don't think they would just walk away and give up. They'd look for every research. They'd look for every stone unturned they'd try every possible recourse and if not they'd know how to make it as comfortable and make it as good as we can get it and you know on and on and on it's not like they've been through haven't been through this before it's not like they don't have knowledge but at some point they just decide you have to walk the rest of this journey alone
1: and i have actually asked him that i said what would you do if it were you know your dad or your mom or whatever the situation happened to be and I've gotten a various of answers some have said i would just go home and enjoy as much time with them as you can and i've had others who tell me i would fight with everything you have yeah. so you do get a variety of, of answers and i think it depends maybe on the type of doctor and the type of cancer well the takeaway with.
0: today is don't expect the doctor to be of much help past that point they may or may not continue to help you But more cases than not, they'll probably kind of shrug and say, I'm sorry, and that's kind of the end of your journey with them. And now you become this mysterious journey on your own that we keep documenting week in and week out. How do you feel? How do those around you deal with it? And where do you turn for extra ideas, advice, support, knowledge? What am I facing? What's this going to look like? What are the odds? What can I do? What can't I do? You know all that is what this show is about we're going to try and collect and document that for you for those on that journey for those having you know thinking anybody on that journey or anywhere near that journey this is a resource to help answer what the doctors can't or won't or don't whatever
1: yeah, I think it's hard for them and just give a shout out because I have to see my doctor later today, so <laughs> I, I don't want to. Um, we can hey, call no. out good ones. Yeah, you can, see, you can say good ones if you know them. Yeah, like um, I said, there's there are a lot of doctors that will be there with you and hold your hand and and. I you hope that there's it, a, but, a new um,
0: generation coming. Yeah. I think that they, the medicine has changed. It's not just an assembly line. I think there is uh, more and more people who look to, I think doctors always cared but i just don't know that they either knew how to handle it or felt comfortable handling it or whatever you know didn't have the time money knowledge whatever it was there's some barrier there and too often i guess we just have to bring out this fact that be prepared your doctor may not ride along with you maybe let's look at it that way you may be at that point on your own fighting this journey alone and that's why you need to find friends and and a support group wherever you wherever you are wherever you're hearing this Uh, to help guide you and give you thoughts and ideas and encouragement and support and everything else that you're going to need.
1: And even if your doctor is with you, I still would recommend going, like I said, and getting another opinion or even going to pancan.org again for information, only because sometimes they come up with stuff like clinical trials that your doctor may not be aware of yet. Well, we're going to talk about that that in future episodes because I don't
0: think most doctors really know much about clinical trials. All they do is kind of Google it like we do. We've talked about it in another show. There are lots of clinical trials going on all over the country, mostly in major cities, not in minor rural areas, mostly in big metropolitan areas. But you'd be amazed what you can find. And not that they're all going to work either, but at least it's something, some hope, some idea. Otherwise, you got nothing. Uh, Otherwise, you might as well you know, I don't want to say end it, but you know, I suspect some people do just, well, that's it. I give up, I quit, I'm over, I'm done.
1: Well, I think they fail if the doctor's given up, why should they continue to fight? But just a good piece of advice is, you know, rely on your doctor, yes, but don't put all the responsibility on them. Be your own best advocate, be your own best patient, and find the information yourself.
0: That's what I learned. We'll do a show on that as well. How to be your own advocate, because I wasn't prepared to be my parents' advocate, my aunt's advocate. I was just there to assist, to support. I found I had to fight, I had to push, I had to transfer records, I had to make sure things got done. I had to become, there if they, if they couldn't do it themselves, I had to do it for them. And together we had to fight the system because the system too often you get lost, you get things screw up, you get forgotten, mm-hmm. mistakes are made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I, I guess nobody's really taught that. We're, we're never told that. We're somehow expect I'm in the system I'm on the airplane, I don't have to trust they know how to fly it. I don't have to trust they're going to the right city here. You know, I just sit and accept. If you take that mentality, my opinion, with the medical, you will be lost and confused and angry and and lots of things.
1: No, even that you have to take on yourself and make sure you've got all the medical records you need to have them on hand when a doctor may want them so you don't have to go back and request them and, and waste that time. When you're dealing with pancreatic cancer, all the time is important. You yes. can't afford to waste weeks. Yes.
0: Well, we're not going to waste any more time today. I just wanted to bring that out on the table, put it out there. This problem exists. I hope it. it, it it's, you don't go through it. But if you do, don't be shocked. This is what many are experiencing. And there is hope. So then you have to become your own advocate. And there are places like PANCAN you can go find information, right?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Okay. Well... Uh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. Me too. (laughs) Thank you. I wanted to say that for a while. Well, there you have it. One more reason to tune in to Living Hope. Really is a weekly program now designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. We all need answers. We all got questions. We all wonder what to do next. And too often, even the doctors don't so today is an example why how we share real life stories of those really affected by this disease what they're really going through and what to deal with so you'll know and you'll know what to do should you be in that situation if you'd like to share your stories please come join us and if you know anyone who needs help on their journey we suggest calling patient services at 877 the number two pan can that's 877, the number two, P-A-N-C-A-N, which of course stands for the organization Motivating This Show, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. A group of people just like you who got tired not knowing and decided to form a group to help, guide, share, support anyone on this journey. Thanks for listening. Share the story. And we'll see you next week.